0: Blog Talk Radio.
1: Slow down, touch your life. Don't
0: you know there's plans to be found? Lift your eyes. Welcome to the Sunbury Press Book Show on the BookSpeak Network. I'm your host, Lawrence Knorr, the founder and CEO of Sunbury Press. Sunbury Press publishes print and electronic books under 10 different imprints in a variety of categories sold worldwide wherever books are sold. This episode is the second in a series concerning our new book, a compilation about the coronavirus impact, entitled After the Pandemic, Visions of Life Post-COVID-19. The topic of our show today concerns pandemics past and present and future. And our panel of guests includes Wiley McClellan, the author of Tigers by the Sea, about the history of pro football in Memphis. Uh, He's also working on a biography of Ernest Hemingway. Wiley's chapter covers the last great pandemic in 1918, the Spanish flu. Welcome, Wiley. Welcome, Lawrence. Glad to be here. And Thomas Malaferina, the author of many horror novels and short stories, the latest of which is horror classics, a mix of some of his stories with other all-time greats. In his essay, Tom envisioned what future pandemics might be like. Welcome aboard, Tom. Yeah,
1: great to be here. Thanks.
0: We also had meant to have Mark Carlson on, the author of The Marine's Lost Squadron. He had written about... Uh, The Black Plague, the Black Death And then it's it's leading to the Enlightenment And, uh, you know, we should probably cover a little bit of that Since that's the earliest period in history And what I recall about it is Way back when in the 1400s A plague came to Europe uh, Probably by ship, probably by fleas on rats Uh, Some say it came from the Far East Uh, Although I don't know for sure that that's a fact Uh, But, you know, that's sort of what I've seen in the record And then what what transpired was the most horrific uh, plague that lasted for years And I don't know what the overall percentage was of death But it was pretty catastrophic Wiley, do you
2: know? In Western Europe, it was almost like a third of the population Something like 40 million people according to mark's essay um, yeah. which he carefully documented and uh the problem was of course they didn't understand they didn't understand it like there was uh, there was no sanitation uh conditions i mean like uh, animals roamed the streets feces were in people's houses the, they didn't bathe back then so it was it was ripe for the spread of Something by bacteria.
0: Yeah, it was definitely a uh, a scary time. Yeah, you know, when you think about, it's very common for people to live in the same quarters with animals. Yes, they you know, did. They have, you know, they have a uh, their cow or some goats, sheep, chickens, a pig, and, <laughs> whatever. And their
2: sewage. Their sewage was probably just uh, very elemental. They even had an, you know. I mean, if you walk down a street in London, you had to be very careful that someone didn't throw a bucket of poop on you, you know, from a balcony. And, but it was uncontained, and uh, uh, the spread of it was, as you noticed, it was spread by fleas, and uh, there was no containment on it. There was no... Uh, They really didn't know what it was. There was a great misunderstanding of what was causing all the death. And it seemed
0: like uh, as it eventually faded from the scene, and I don't know if that was herd immunity or it just ran its course, what what really was behind it fading out, hard to know. Maybe it it killed the most vulnerable and, and then others were somewhat immune. But it seemed like after that, there was a period of innovation, and I suppose if you think about losing a third of the population and then the the uh, on the, say, the legal side of things, the inheritance, the, the shift of wealth uh, into fewer people, and then some the people that remained having the ability or having the means then to invest, expand. Uh, it actually was a prosperous time in the years after, and of course the Renaissance follows with a whole bunch of new ideas. Yeah.
2: So. Well, Mark uh, connected the Black Death to the invention of the printing press. Um, because as you, all the people died, and those who were left inherited the property of those who had died, they had more money, and they started spending a lot more on like linen. And when the linen wore out, they threw it away. And someone would come along and collect this thrown-away linen, and they would make it into a, into a rag paper. And rag paper was a lot more plentiful and a lot cheaper than the parchments which came from animal skins. So they had all this paper on hand, and then Gutenberg comes along with movable type and invents the printing press. So it kind of played into each other very nicely. A silver lining, you might say. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah, the connections and the unintended consequences. So, Wiley, tell us a little bit about the more recent 1918 pandemic, a.k.a. the the Spanish flu, which is probably not properly named. but
2: No, uh, you're right, Lawrence. It's not. The Spanish flu, again, it was misunderstood when it first happened. In the United States, it was first happened in the training camps um there was in kansas was where it was it started breaking out among the soldiers and they thought at first it was caused by bacteria maybe they got that idea from the plague which was caused by bacteria but they raced to come up with vaccines based upon that thinking so of course the vaccines were ineffective they did come to realize that it was a virus. Scientists had never seen a virus before because they, you know, they didn't have the modern powerful microscopes back then. And they didn't really even know that it was... It took them a, while, a little while to figure out that it was spread by droplets in people's breath. And at the same time, a great war was waging in Europe. And millions of men were packed together in trenches and on cargo ships and in armies on the field. And... More men died by the flu than they did from cannons and guns in that war. You know, whole, whole cargo ships came down with sick people. And when they came back to the United States, these soldiers, they infected everyone that they encountered there. And it came in, the first wave was in those training camps in the spring. And then in the fall, the second wave, and that was the one that was most deadly in the United States. Um, Like in October of 1918, 200,000 people died from the flu, and it was it was like a perfect storm. They were totally unprepared for it, and these viruses, they're kind of like wildfire. They're kind of like forest fires in the in a wilderness. Only when they burned up all the fuel will they go away. We're much better prepared today than they were in nineteen eighteen because we know about social distancing. We know that we know how it spreads through droplets in the breath. We also we have antibiotics. They didn't have antibiotics back in nineteen eighteen. Antibiotics would cure the secondary bacterial infections that can result from the primal disease. And uh, we don't have a vaccine for this yet, but we will have one, I'm certain.
0: And Wiley, I want to take you back. You wrote in your essay, you included some very horrific scenes. I mean, they almost, it it reads like a Malafarina novel in in the descriptions (laughs) that you used. (laughs) <laughs> no offense, Tom. <laughs> no, no taken.
2: Uh, you can you read those in your mellifluous voice, Lawrence. <laughs> tell me, uh,
0: just tell us a little bit about you know the, the sick word that you described, and what someone with with the flu in 1918 what it was like, and uh, how quickly they could die.
2: It happened very fast. They they would get struck by these pains in their joints. And then, of course, they'd get shortness of breath. And um, they would have fevers and, and, a very, and a cough. And they'd become just practically immobile, and they would drown in their own fluids while they were in their bed. Wow. There was little anyone could do back then. You know, they didn't have the, the health care to deal with this at that time. And so it just kind of like it was like a wildfire burning through a forest that couldn't be contained. The only thing that contained it was when the fuel was all burned out. And the fuel we're talking about is people.
0: So there there were people dying within 24 hours.
2: From yes, right, they were. What you found?
0: Yeah. Yes, they were. No, my great grandfather William Walter White the uh, first. On his grave, he, he is marked as a World War One veteran. He was a doughboy. And he went to training camp, and the, the family story was he got sick, he got the flu, and he never went overseas. However, he did survive the flu. And you know, as a kid growing up, when you hear that, "Oh, great-great you know great grandpa didn't go to war because he got sick, and you think, uh, "Well, you know, what a weakling." I'm not, <laughs> not so proud of that. That's not a family story that's worth sharing. You know that's kind of embarrassing. And he had his World War I uniform hanging in the closet. He was always very proud of his service. And I wish uh, he would still be around or that I would have different, I have different feelings today about his, his life and his service and what he experienced. He just reading what Wiley wrote about and the horrors of the sick wards. And here's a young man. He was like uh, not quite 20 years old um, in his early twenties. And he's, he's, uh, you know, getting sick with the soldiers. He's in the sick ward, and he he then is sent home. Of course, the war for the the Doughboys was not a long one. We came in towards the end, and the victory came. But um, very fortunate that he survived. And then, of course, he has a son who then has a daughter, and then she has me. So maybe I'm not here if he doesn't survive that. Mm -hmm. So let's move on to Tom. you know, you've sure. you've been observing this. You know, I know how you think <laughs> and what you write about. <laughs> you know, what what does this mean to you? You know, when you look at past, present, future, and how do you see this evolving in your mind? That your very creative mind.
1: Well, I I looked at it two from two perspectives. One from the perspective where we are right now. Uh, actually, at the time of writing this, which was a month earlier, where we were, where we are. And what the potential is as to where we are going to be. Uh, one of the things I did do is I compared it to being essentially like World War III because uh, it's being fought worldwide. Uh, everybody is being affected by it. I have friends I heard from in Italy and in different countries who are going through this couple weeks, you know, ahead of us, uh, and the things that they've gone through. Um, and the other reason I compared it with kind of like World War III is, at least from the United States side, um, we – we and I didn't have enough space in my uh, essay to write this, but one thing I, I thought of since writing this is we have a tendency to um, have a low – not a low tolerance, but I want to say when it comes to war and a general regular type of war in the beginning, we're all for it, but we don't have a stomach for it to last long. And we don't have the endurance that it takes to get by. And one of the things I'm noticing since initially writing this is, you know, in the beginning, people wanted to uh, take care of this, put on masks, stay home, do whatever they had to do to beat this. But in the uh, previous, you know, the past several weeks, That is starting to wane, and people are starting to question it and saying, you know, is this really that bad? Is this really what they say it's going to be? Can't I go out without a mask? Why can't? And as your, you know, economy goes down and people's money starts to disappear, why can't I go to work? Uh, Why can't I open my business? Uh, Maybe this is. some cabal's way of eliminating all the small business and just having all these big box companies and big box stores and chains going on. So I'm, I'm seeing as it progresses, uh, people are losing their stomach for this war. And unfortunately, when you look at some of the old pandemics that happened, that, that's what happens. People start out being gung-ho, then they're not so gung-ho, then all of a sudden you have a giant spike and you lose tons of people. Um, and, of course, eventually it burns itself out. But that's, that's what I was looking at. And one of the other things I, I, I put in my essay was the, the different things I noticed out in public now and how things have changed. And, and things haven't just temporarily changed. This is, this is going there, – there's a very big change that's coming that will never re- – when people say we're going to go back to normal, we are never going to go back to normal. We're going to a new normal but it won't be the old normal. Um, Most kids alive today can't imagine walking into um, a pharmacy or a uh, grocery store and opening a bottle of Tylenol and seeing the pills inside because there's all kinds of child caps on it. I'm sorry, not child caps anymore. They call them uh, tamper-proof seals and things like that. They didn't exist when we were younger. They exist now because of a crisis that happened back when, the Tylenol poisoning and and that sort of thing. Um, You didn't didn't used to go in to buy something in a toy store or somewhere and have a a clamshell over it. But with the increase of people stealing and shoplifting, now everything has clamshells and it's a pain in the butt to try to get stuff out of these things when you get home. Such is going to be the case after the pandemic because you see it already. Uh, you see a lot of temporary measures you go in now and you'll see the six foot signs and uh, you go to pay for something and you know there's a plexiglass between you and the person in front of you and they won't let you come in without masks Uh, I think what will eventually happen is the mandatory mask thing will go away but there uh, my uh, I was speaking with my uh, son Mike the other day and uh, he's a teacher in Maryland and one of the things he suggests is probably going to happen, and he's seeing this as, as an educator, is there'll be a shift in the way people think. And when, and he sees it already with some of his Asian students when they come to school. Well, we saw it when he was still teaching. <laughs> but when they come to school with a the cold, they'll put a mask on. This is long before any masks were mandatory. It was just in their culture that when you're sick, You cover up with a mask when you go out in public. We would never in a million years have thought of that. We would have laughed at anyone we saw with a mask. It's going to become the norm. Um, These protective barriers and things like that, we're going to see more of those. One thing that I've always done that a lot of people, you know, kind of laugh at, I've always been a a shopper at, uh, I don't go to Costco because I just don't have one locally, but uh, BJ's. Uh, Warehouse club, whatever they call them, I've been going to them for years. So when this whole pandemic thing started, I wasn't even concerned because at any given day of the week, I've got enough of the sacred toilet paper, paper towels, napkins, in my basement to last me for six months. Because I go and I just buy in bulk, and it's not out of any fear of pandemic or fear of needing it. It just it's a convenience for me. I belong. I buy the stuff, I stick it in my basement, and I think what you're going to see, and I put that in my essay in the future, a lot of those people who laugh at people like me who buy in bulk are going to be joining these clubs, and they're going to have a reserve spot in their basement where they'll be storing all this stuff, and they will have that so they don't get caught in the, uh, the dreaded toilet paper crunch. <laughs> you know, They're going to have this stuff stored away. And that's just some of the things that are going to change. There's a lot more that could change that I talk about in my essay as well that yeah. may or may not happen.
0: Well, it's interesting you talk about, uh, you know, keeping a supply on hand, and it was unintentional because you were probably just buying bulk to save money. Yeah. But, you know, we we started out talking about in the Middle Ages how families had the animals right in the house with them. You know, that mm-hmm. really was uh, – Food security and it was also out of necessity. And then, Wiley, mm-hmm. during your time uh, that you wrote about, not your time personally, <laughs> I don't want to date you that much, but the time you wrote about, you know, when I remember my great grandparents and what they talked about, they had the root cellars, they did the canning, they always had a pretty good supply of things on hand. Uh, so, yeah, I could see us definitely. Uh, one of the concerns I've had is about the just in time aspects of our distribution and also how widespread our global supply chain is and
2: things yeah. like this just mess that up big time one of the oh, things yeah. that happened after the uh yeah. spanish flu pandemic is how quickly most people forgot that was the roaring 20s remember the yeah. pandemic mm-hmm. happened in uh, 1918 and and uh 1919 and it was huge Something like 50 million people died from this, and half a billion people, around a half a billion people, were infected. Now, the scientific community didn't forget that. They never did come up with a vaccine at that time for that particular virus, but everyone else quickly forgot it. You know, the uh, I mean, it was a time to party. F. Scott Fitzgerald writes The Great Gatsby, and um, Wall Street booms. And people wanted to put that behind them real very fast. They wanted, you know, like Harding was elected on uh, the promise of a return to normalcy. Yeah, which was a word that I think he coined, or his party, his uh, campaign coined. Now the scientific community didn't forget about that, though.
0: I wonder how much of the uh, openness that there was in the Roaring Twenties, you know, there was. uh A looser attitude towards life and society, and I guess a lot more fun in a lot of ways, Uh, maybe more sinful too, (laughs) depending on your perspective. But how much of that was a reaction to the plague versus the end of the war? You had both happening at the same time. Hard to know. I
2: I think it was a very – I think you know, like you had a new generation, and they'd just been through this uh, horrific war, the most horrific war up to that time. Uh, and they just were ready to discard the mores and traditions of their parents. You know, to a so I want to ask you. Yeah, I want to
0: shift to asking you about some some of the questions I had here. Um, what keeps you up at night about this, Tom? Is there anything that you really um, worry about most?
1: No, uh, pretty much nothing. Uh, in the beginning. In the beginning, my concern was less about, and it still is less about contracting the illness because of the precautions I take. I was a little concerned in that, uh, in, in the beginning, because of uh, being one of the quote essential workers. I have to go out among the great unwashed every day, and uh, that that concerned me a little bit. But I did not think I'd have to worry about catching it, and I I always felt if I caught it, I could. Uh, I could survive it, although I'd feel like garbage for a while. But uh, that wasn't a big concern. For me, the big concern was what effect it was going to have on the economy uh, when I saw, you know, I mean, this was unimaginable. If you would have asked me three months ago if the uh, the every every small business around me would be shut down and, except for, you know, mini-marts and gas stations and grocery stores. And you had told me people would be spending three months or two months in their house and hardly ever going out, and schools would be shut down. I would have said, you're crazy. That can't happen in the United States. And in the beginning, that kind of thing kept me uh, thinking because I worried about the long-term effect of this. When I saw my uh, money in the 401K taking a big dump, that wasn't real. Really either, um, but things are coming back um, that's that's seeing a slow recovery. Uh, we're gradually starting to open i I prefer they do it slowly. Uh, it's easy for me to say because I still have an income coming in, but it, it does it does concern me yet uh, from an economic standpoint. Um, another thing concerned me is our willingness to give up a lot of our freedoms for. The possibility of safety that may or may not be there. I, I walk a thin line because I, it's funny. I just I just had this discussion with a guy, a, a writer I know from from Texas, and it's um, it's kind of like the agnostic who goes to church every Sunday because he's uh, he's just hedging his bets. He's not sure what's going to happen, <laughs> but he wants to keep his all his options open. And that's kind of how I am. It's like I want I want to stay safe. I want to keep my relatives and my friends safe, but I don't know all the facts. Nobody knows all the facts. They change every day. Is this really a problem? Is this a problem? Is that a problem? Um, So that's my biggest concern is the lack of knowledge and the lack of understanding and how quickly things change. And the people and that there could really be some people trying to take advantage of this situation. Um, But I'm not, I'll admit it, I'm not smart enough to know that. You know, and I don't I don't know. And that's I think my ignorance is what concerns me more than anything. And the general ignorance about the the entire situation concerns me more than anything.
0: Yeah, when you talk well, about the great things. unwashed, yeah, when you talk about the great unwashed, yeah, I kind of chuckled a little bit, because when you think about all the hygiene we're being forced to follow now, and didn't think about yep. the fact that we didn't do that before. How many people yep. never wash yeah.
2: their hands? How many people were sick and coughing still I mean, don't? Oh. How many still yeah.
0: don't? <laughs> Why my wife and son make sure My
2: wife and son make sure I wash my hands whether I want to or not. Um <laughs> well, I, you know, what you said, Thomas, was very well said. Uh I had some worries about our daughter. She lives in New York City. And uh of course she's fine, but you going I we worried about it anyway. Uh, mm-hmm. Nothing really keeps me up at night, um, but I worry about uh, the economy. Uh, these small businesses getting clobbered. Um, it's painful to know that there's so many people out there who are in financial jeopardy because of this. A lot of young people with small children. Uh, you know, they they don't they they've lost their jobs and their income. You see this on the news and kind of hurt for them um our health has been good we're confident about that we live within very close uh proximity to some very nice parks where hardly anyone is going and we walk our dog in the morning and it it gives me the opportunity to read and write i've I've done a fair amount of that since this started um we've made it through one day at a time my wife and i and we have a an adult child living with us right now he's uh in graduate school. And uh, some of these things are so, uh, you know, I don't know about. And uh, they're just uh, too much for me to really worry too much about if I don't have any control over what's going to happen.
0: Yeah. 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 I know that from my perspective, when it was first starting to happen, I wasn't too concerned about it. I thought maybe it would be isolated or, you know, just in a few regions and that we'd manage it. And then when we got to the two weeks to slow the spread, you remember that? Holding up the card mm-hmm. and here are the steps to take two weeks to slow the spread. Mm-hmm. And then it was 30 days. That turned into two months. And, you know, as it started to continue to uh, expand the time that we were contained and things were shut down, I started to really worry about the economics of it and it it starts first in you know, the family being disappointed that the kid the two kids in the family, my stepson and my daughter who are graduating from high school, all the things they're missing and you know that's disappointing. Yep. Yeah. My my daughter who is graduating from college and has to start her career right now. I mean, it's like, well, mm-hmm. you sure picked a good time to graduate and try to go in the workforce when we have more unemployment than during the Great Depression. And so mm-hmm. I'm less concerned about myself economically, more concerned about others and being someone who studies and teaches economics, especially macroeconomics and international trade and those kinds of things. I, I see big picture things that I really worry about. Big picture things like all the small businesses that are never going to come back. Uh um, right. the, the industries that were already weak that are going to be gone quicker than they would have been otherwise. So you have this acceleration of a structural change in the economy, which leads to structural unemployment. And there'll be more of that. People have to retool, retrain, try different things. Mm-hmm. You know, it'll be a slower recovery than, than some are saying. And there will be things that I think will be uh, changed Permanently as you were saying Tom So yeah. I worry about that I worry yeah. about how many people are going to be affected And then what the global relations The international relations The impacts there When you talk about World War III You know there is a, a cold war going on As associated with with trade And international relations And this is just one more aspect to it And let's hope it doesn't turn into a hot war And
2: that we Yeah can manage through this. What about governments be... going broke? Like the city yeah. of Vancouver, uh, you know, they're they're the mayor has threatened to declare bankruptcy.
0: Yep. Yeah. So people have asked me that question as as an economist, and I say, well, the federal government that's not a problem because they'll just print more money. So all the debts <laughs> denominated in dollars. They can spend as much as they want. Now, the the downside to that is something we haven't seen in a long time, and that's inflation. But so far, we are fending off deflation. So you're kind of punching the gas pedal all the way through the floor here to try to keep this from going into the death spiral of deflation. You see deflation with uh, the stock market, with the oil market for sure, and that's an indication of some of the other things, uh, you know, when people stop working and don't have paychecks, they stop buying things, and then everything uh, becomes less valuable because the demand has decreased. So that, that's what you're trying to steer away from, and I, I worry about that quite a bit. So we got to get out of this deflation. And then with the federal government spending inflation, they got to worry about that. The state and local governments, they can't make their own money. They have to tax. So they're taxing authorities. So that's what they're going to have to do. Unless the federal government just prints a whole bunch more money and gives it to the local governments and the state governments and and swallows that. But you could see the national debt double through this within a few more months. It would just be insane. Sure. Uh, If this keeps going the way it is. So, yeah, that's what's keeping me up. (laughs) Let's try to talk about some... uh, some positive things What are we optimistic about Wiley Anything in this you see a silver lining Something you're hopeful about
2: Well Mount, Mount Baker is uh, About 70 miles to the southeast of here And on a clear beautiful day Like today I have never seen it look So clear and beautiful The air really seems to be Improving around here Yeah You know there's not the uh, the haze There is a haze still But it doesn't seem to be so strong and another thing I have to say, too, we're only spending about $60 a month on gas. <laughs> <laughs> so,
0: Wiley, Mount Baker, you're in um, Vancouver, British Columbia? Right, yeah. The okay. mountains around this,
2: here are really beautiful, and you can yeah. see them very well. That's great.
0: Yeah, I noticed that the other day driving through the valley here. Uh, I went to visit one of our authors with a mask on. And I won't say who. Mm-hmm. Keep are out of trouble since our county is closed down. But we had a quick meeting, and we stood six feet apart with masks on in the driveway. But the drive there and back, <laughs> which is about a half-hour drive from my home across the valley, I, I was just stunned. It was almost like the whole atmosphere had been bleached, you know, sparkly white, <laughs> yeah. clean. Yeah. Uh, you know, there was no dust, dirt, or anything, and a high-pressure system had come in, and and usually you can see pretty well when that happens, but this was incredible how just so much clearer and how far you could see and I I really appreciated that and I that's that's a result of this. Tom, how about you? Silver
1: lining. Silver lining. Well have traffic of course is one thing. Uh like I said, I still have to go to work every day. I get up at four thirty, I leave at five thirty for work. Um one one thing I've noticed in addition, of course, to the to less traffic is have you noticed the animals everywhere I go now? We have, you know, deer around here, but normally with traffic, you don't see so many. Um, I now, when I leave for work and I take the back road between my house and uh, the main route, 422, I have to be extra careful because I, I see herds of deer out walking along the highway, I see the other day I had to watch out for a little skunk, lots of skunks, squirrels, lot more animals than I ever see before. And that's because, you know, people aren't around. So they say, hey. I can walk out here again i can I can do this, so I mean some people may not consider that a positive, but I do. I like looking at them and I drive extra careful so I don't uh, hit any of them but uh I see a lot more of that uh less traffic uh less people around is nice if i if I have to be somebody who has to go out, it's nice to not go out into crowds um but um the other thing like you said, the other positive I see is hopefully hopefully. This is going to teach the young ones, the little kids, the grandchildren, how important it is to stay clean and 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 not not become psychotic about it, you know. But but to stay clean and practice cleanliness and, and take this kind of stuff seriously, much more seriously. Uh, we may be coming up with a whole new generation that thinks in that direction, and that that's a positive too.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, a couple questions here in our last few minutes. Uh, I'm just curious, where you're at, uh, what has it been like from a restrictions perspective, Wiley? uh, How how has that gone, and where are you at now as far as being able to go outside and go to businesses and so on?
2: Well, we miss that. Like I miss going uh, downtown to the the waterfront, which is one of the most beautiful places I know of. Uh, downtown vancouver on english bay i uh, usually we would go down there and walk our dog along the seawall we, we're not doing that um we miss those little adventures there we miss going out to eat to the the restaurants that we love to go to eat with and we miss visiting with with our friends um that's starting to open up a bit although uh, i i'm urging caution to us about that because uh the medical, the chief medical officer of British Columbia, warns about every time you take in a new person, you're taking in their family and their, you're taking in their family too. Yeah. But I, I miss that. Um, we, as I said, we've coped a lot. Like we always mostly cook our food at home anyway because we like to do that. Dinner has become a real big deal now. Preparing a, a wonderful uh, dinner and sitting down and eating it. And um, I think I'm watching a little bit more Netflix than I need to in the evening. <laughs> you know? yeah. I'm, I'm, some of the stuff on Netflix is very good, and a lot of it is not so good. I've learned that. I never paid much attention to it before. Um, but again, you know, like uh, I have been able to uh, to read and, and write uh, maybe a little bit more than usual. And we we appreciate that.
0: So I guess in Vancouver you have a lockdown still in effect, or is it easing?
2: You know the lockdown was never it was never a binding by law. Um, people were crowding the uh, the public areas like along the waterfront, and they were breaking the social distancing. So they send out these um, kind of like a policeman, and they were handing out fines. Not big fines at all. Now, the, the restaurants were closed and some of the stores were closed. The clothing stores closed on their own. Um, it's it's a lockdown by virtue of choice. Okay. You know, really. But a it is. Different.
0: I mean, I mean that's know, the, Canada.
2: Yeah. Yeah. There's no law. I mean, like. They have closed restaurants and and large public gatherings, like the hockey season is over. And hockey is a really big thing up here. Uh, There are no concerts. Those have all been closed. The parades and some of the the runs, um, some of the marathons that they have up here, they're not happening. Uh, But it's mostly uh, by choice of staying healthy and not getting sick.
0: Pennsylvania, Tom and I are both in Pennsylvania, and I know it's very different here in the states, and while there really aren't – one of the big debates is about constitutional rights versus some of the things that are going on, and that's that's probably a subject for a whole other show, but Tom, in Western Berks <laughs> County, down your way, closer to Philadelphia, I know you're a red county, I believe. Yep, we are. Uh, so what's oh, that yeah. like, living in a red county?
1: Well, the big, the biggest thing for me, as I said, we're both working. So, so if you just looked at us from a distance and looked at our schedule, nothing's changed. We get up, we go to work, we come home, we have weekends, then we go back to work and do it all again. But in reality, a lot has changed. That, that emotionally, and and uh, we have not gotten to see and hug our kids or grandkids since all this started. We talk to them, you know, we call them on the phone, we talk to them. Uh, we took something to my son's house and let it on his porch and, uh, you know, saw him from the driveway and waved. But, I mean, that's a big hole. That's something we can't do. Um, that's one of the big things. As you know, I'm a musician. Uh, all of my gigs have been canceled. I don't get to play out. The bars are all closed. The restaurants are all closed. And I'm kind of at the point now where I really don't want them to open because I, I, I don't know that I'd feel comfortable going out again and playing for a while until all of this is is taken care of you know what i mean it's just it, it, that sort of thing um and of course the grocery stores and and i we still go this morning we were at our Redner's grocery store um we you know i still go to lowe's to get my you know, home improvement supplies but of course that's all changed uh, you wear masks everybody that works there wear masks uh gloves um People are behind plexiglass. It's kind of, like I said, it's a whole different world than it used to be. So when I, when, and even at work, all day long at work, I wear a mask. Everybody I work with wears a mask. We have disinfectants. We're constantly cleaning our, our working area, our door handles. Uh, it's it's just a whole, whole completely different world, uh, very uncomfortable. I I think had this happened two years from now, I probably would have just said, you know, the heck with it. I'm retiring. I'm staying home. Um, But it hasn't. And, uh, you know, it's different. When we're at home, it's fine. When we're at work, we kind of have adjusted to that. But uh, the big thing is just not getting to see and hug the kids and grandkids. Uh, My son and his wife were in Maryland, actually moved to the Baltimore area from Frederick so for a few months, we got to see them because they were just an hour and a half away, as opposed to two and a half hours away. And now we can't even go down and see them. So it's uh, that's the frustrating part as a father and grandfather. That's the uh, that's the tough part for me.
0: Yeah, I agree. We have the same issues here. And Tammy and I work from home and uh, now she's permanently working from home uh at least yeah you know, at least until the state opens up uh the offices again and it sounds like they might even do teleworking uh even in the future uh as they keep yeah. the offices at like 50%. So you know we're out here on our little farm and mm-hmm. day to day you don't notice anything's different it's it's when you yeah. uh go to the grocery store or go Go try to interact. Right. Obviously, we can't go to the restaurants we want to go to. We can't have visitors. Oh, I miss that. Yeah. Yeah, I miss the restaurant. So. But eating lots of good meals mm. here. And so we're down to just a couple minutes. I wanted to ask you guys about shortages. Um, Wiley, up your way, you, you well-stocked in toilet paper?
2: Thanks to my wife, yes. Thanks to Nikki. <laughs> okay. We you never have had anything a problem else there. short. There.
0: Are you shorthanded up there?
2: Well, they had the same thing up here. You'd go into these stores, and uh, the toilet paper shelves would be empty. People were hoarding toilet, yeah. toilet paper. I like Tom to think sounds we're past like, that now.
0: Tom, sounds like you're stocked anyway. You probably weren't even looking for it. Oh,
1: yeah. I'm still good. Yeah, I'd, I'll be good. And, and it's really funny because before all this happened, I went down in the basement one day, and I had forgotten and actually got some more stuff. And uh, you know, before this even was an incident, and I said, "Wow, if anything happens, I'm good for six months." And within like two or three weeks, all of this started, and it's like, "Whoa, I didn't plan that, but hey, I'm covered."
2: <laughs>
1: I miss
0: going all to right. bookstores. Yeah, good news. I'm, I'm just seeing this morning, bookstore sales have started. At least that channel started to tick up for the first time in weeks. But we are out of time. Thank you for joining us. This has been the Sunbury Press Book Show and the BookSpeak Network. Thank you all for listening.